Yet fundamental Christianity teaches we believe in one God who's in three persons and each of those persons are fully and completely God. If you can wrap your mind around that, then you're a much better person than I. Because this is not the easiest concept to understand, uh, but it is a concept we have to believe. Hello and welcome to the Portland General Baptist Church Sunday School Podcast. What is theology? The word theology can seem intimidating at first, but all it really means is the study of God. Join us as we continue our Sunday School series entitled, Intro to Theology. Good morning everybody, welcome to our adult Sunday School class. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 14. That's going to be our key verse today. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 14. As you're turning there, let me just uh, set the stage for this scripture. Uh, we are, this, is, this is part three of our Intro to Theology course. Uh, the first week, we looked at the reality of God. My God is real. Uh, and that's a fundamental basis for theology, which as you remember, the word theology means the study of God. So acknowledging the reality of God is your first step. If you don't believe in the reality of God, theology is nothing to you at that point. Uh, so we're studying God, theology. So lesson number one was that God is real. Lesson number two, which was last week, God is mighty. And we looked at God's omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, his omniscience, his all-knowing uh, abilities, as well as, his, um, uh, as well as his omnipresence, that God is everywhere. And we looked at the fact that truly, even in your worst situation, God is ultimately the one who's in control. He is mighty, and we cannot fathom the ways of God. Today, we're going to do a little shift, and we're going to look at the mystery of God, the mystery of God. And you find the mystery of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse number 14. This is Paul's benediction, his last verse of this, of, of, of this letter to the Corinthian church. And he ends it this way. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Now, the question is, why did he end it that way? Why didn't he just say, God bless you or something? But he, he has delineated three parts. The Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Why the breakdown that way? One of the greatest mysteries of the Bible is the mystery of the Trinity. And today, we're going to try to get a little bit better understanding of the Trinity, uh, at least to some degree, uh, if you will pray with me as we start this lesson. Father, we thank you for all of your many blessings. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to assemble, even though it's online, to assemble once again in our Sunday school so that we can learn and grow and get closer to you. I pray, Lord, the presence of the real teacher, the Holy Spirit, will teach us, will make the word alive in our hearts that we can grow. And Father, we just pray now that you'll have us receptive to what you have for us. We pray this by the agency, power, and name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. There are three truths of the Bible, three fundamental truths of the Bible 
concerning this subject, and we've got to accept all three. Truth number one, there is one God, one eternal God. Truth number two, this one God exists in three persons. Each person is distinct from one another. So we have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three persons existing in one God. Number three, truth number three, each of those persons is fully and completely God. They are each co-equal, they are co-existent, they are co-eternal. Alright, so each person of the Trinity is completely, fully, 100% God. Equal to each other, existent, all, you know, always with each other, eternal, always with each other. Now, those are hard concepts to get our mind around. The idea that you have one God in three persons. How do you have, you know, why isn't that three gods? Why do you have one God in three persons? Spurgeon uh, gave us this quote. He said, nothing will so enlarge the intellect and magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the whole subject of the Trinity. He, uh, he says, if you really want to try to understand God, you need to delve into the subject of the Trinity and try to figure it out. You see, most, most world religions, uh, including those who even, some of them, you know, who claim to be Christians, deny the existence of a Trinity. Judaism, Islam, Unitarians, Jehovah Witnesses, they all deny the doctrine of the Trinity. Yet fundamental Christianity teaches we believe in one God who's in three persons and each of those persons are fully and completely God. If you can wrap your mind around that, then you're a much better person than I. Because this is not the easiest concept to understand, uh, but it is a concept we have to believe. I have to believe this doctrine by faith, though I have to confess I don't fully grasp it all. I have to believe this doctrine by faith, even though I wrestle with what the doctrine really means. Uh, it is a difficult concept to grasp. One God in three persons. First Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Yet... It's still the mystery of godliness. And it, it, it is a mystery. It's a, it is not a mystery to him. He understands who he is. It's a mystery to us because we, it's hard to grasp the concept of the Trinity. Isaiah 55 uh, verse number 8 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God tells us in Isaiah, he says, it's hard for you to get it because my ways are so much higher than your ways. I mean, think about it. This is the eternal God who has lived forever. He has no beginning. He has no end. I have a beginning. My beginning was in the year 1967. And as far as this earth is concerned, I'm going to have an ending date. Whether by rapture or by death, I'm going to have an ending date. Uh, whatever that date will be. 
and I will no longer be here. I'll be present with the Lord for all of eternity. Uh, but I, you know, I have a finite mind, a, a, a finite existence on this earth. And so having that, I don't grasp the thoughts of God. He doesn't need my advice. He doesn't need my counsel. Uh, his own advice is so much better than mine. Uh, his thoughts and his ways are so much higher than mine. John Wesley once made this statement. Bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, and then I'll bring you a man that can comprehend the triune God. John Wesley says, okay, you don't, you, you don't understand the Trinity? He said, even when you're trying? He said, it's like a worm trying to understand a man, or an ant even, or any, any other small insect. Have them trying to understand who we are as human beings and what we do. You know, I have a dog at the house. Her name's Indy. Love that dog. She will follow us all around the house. She is one of the nosiest uh, animals. But yet, she doesn't get it. She knows certain sounds, especially if it's the sound, sound of the refrigerator opening or something like that, because she figures that she's going to get some food. But she doesn't quite comprehend, even though she's the nosiest dog around, she doesn't quite comprehend what we do and why we do it. It's the same thing with the way that we react to God. Uh, God is truly a mystery. We are like a worm trying to comprehend a man uh, to God because, you know, his thoughts and his ways are so much higher than ours. Isaiah 40, 18 says, To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? In other words, we have nothing to compare God to to try to make the understanding easier. If we're talking about the concept of the Trinity, it's, it's hard to get it because we have no comparison. We have nothing relative to say this juxtaposed to this will make your understanding clearer. We have what scripture says. We accept what scripture says by faith, but it's difficult. Augustine gave us an illustration once. He said that he went to the beach and this little boy had dug a hole in the sand and he kept running to the ocean and grabbing uh, or sea and grabbing water and putting it in the hole. So Augustine asked him, what are you doing trying to put the water in the hole? And uh, he said, I'm putting the ocean in this hole. Sometimes the way that we, you know, the, the way we're trying to react with our knowledge to God is the same way. It's like trying to put the ocean in the hole. It's not going to work. If God is comparable to the ocean and we're the little boy, our finite minds can only get so much. You can only get so much water in that hole and it's full, it's done. It's the same thing with our understanding of God and our understanding of the Trinity. Yet, we believe in one God who is eternally existent in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a doctrine we have to believe, we have to accept, even if it's shrouded in mystery and we don't clearly get it. The idea of the Trinity goes from Genesis to Revelation. It is not a New Testament concept. It's an Old Testament concept as well. Uh, this idea of the plurality, that God exists in three persons. Still one God. I, I, I want to make one thing clear. We are not polytheists. We don't believe in many gods. We are not tritheists. We don't believe in three gods. The Bible is very clear about one God, only one. But the Bible is also very clear that God exists in three persons, co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. Uh, and so we, it, it, it's difficult to put our minds around that. But we must accept that it is true. Isaiah 45, 5 says, 
that uh, I am the Lord. There is none other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me. Notice it says, I am the Lord. There is no other. It's one God. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there is one God and one mediator between God and me and the man Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 8.4 says, Therefore concerning eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and there is no other God but me, or God. There's one God. We are not polytheists. We are not tritheists. We believe in one God. But the companion truth to that is that God exists in three persons. That's covered all the way through Scripture. Now, some people try to say it's one God who's just showing himself in three ways. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches there are three persons, three distinct persons, yet one God. And trying to figure that out, getting your mind around that is extremely difficult. I want you to look at the very first verse of the Bible. All right. We get the idea of the Trinity in the very first verse ever written. The first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want you to notice the word God there. The word God. Now, please remember the Bible's in translation. Uh, you're reading an English version. Uh, and, uh, but it wasn't written in English. Uh, this is Old Hebrew. And so we have to get to the way it is in Hebrew to figure out what's going on. Though We all know how we make words plural in English. Usually we add the letter S. If you have boy and you want to make that plural, boys, you put an S on it. You have girl, you want to make that plural, girls, you put an S on it. In, in Old Hebrew, the same type of concept was not the letter S, it was the letters I-M. If you add I-M to the end, you make a plural of what was once singular. You have cherub, that's one angel. You change it to cherubim, it's plural. You have seraph, which is an angel. And if you put I am on it, seraphim, multiple. You, so adding the I am to cherub or seraph makes cherubim, seraphim, and those are plural. Okay? You have the very same thing in verse 1 of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the, word, uh, created the heavens and the earth. The word God is the word Elohim. Not Eloha. Eloha would be singular. It's Elohim, plural. The I am has been attached to it. So why is God referring to himself, uh, or if you want to say it's Moses' perspective in writing this, why is the very first verse of the Bible using the plurality of God, saying God's, basically, in the beginning, God's created the heaven and the earth. And by the way, that's not a mistranslation. If someone wrote this from the Hebrew and said, in the beginning, God's, with an S on it, created the heavens and the earth, that's an accurate translation. Because Elohim is plural. Okay? Uh, but when you put that into the context of the rest of the scripture, in which we believe in one God, Elohim is taken as a singular, even though it's plural. Because God created the heavens and the earth. But still, why is that plurality there? You see that plurality all the way through the Bible. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Let us make man in our image, uh, uh, according to our likeness. Why the plurality? Why is he saying us 
an hour. And Isaiah 6 and 8, interesting verse. The Bible says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I, that's singular, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? That's plural. So we even see the switch from the singular, uh, whom shall I send, who will go for us to the plural form. Why the plurality? All right. In fact, uh, if you know anything about Judaism, uh, they have a thing called the Shema, uh, which is one of their uh, fundamental bedrock quotes. You hear, you hear Jewish people quote this all, all, all the time. It's actually Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 4. It's called the Shema. It's a bedrock principle of Judaism. This is a cardinal verse from the Torah for them. And, uh, but even in that verse, you have the concept of the Trinity. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, this is the Shema. It says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's a fundamental verse of Judaism. But when you break it down, you see plurality. It says, the Lord, that's Yahweh. All right, it's the name of the Lord, Yahweh. Yahweh, which is singular, right? Singular Yahweh, our God, Elohim, that's plural. Yahweh, singular, God, plural, but then it says the Lord is one. Well, if the Lord is one, why are we using the Elohim? Why are we putting an S on it? To use English, uh, English comparison, why are we putting a plurality to Eloha? Why didn't he just say Eloha and keep it singular? The Lord is one. Why is he saying Elohim, making it plural? Genesis 2, 24 gives us what I think is our best comprehension of this. Uh, and it's still going to be something you have to try to wrap your mind around. Genesis 2, 24. The Bible says, A man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You see that? One flesh. It's even reiterated with the Tower of Babel when uh, Genesis eleven six. 6, whenever the Bible says, indeed, the people are one. It's talking about a one in unity. My wife and I are two people, Richard Roberts, Cynthia Roberts. Yet the Bible says we are one. All right. So if you say Roberts, you can be talking about me. You can be talking about my wife because we're both Roberts. We are one. In fact, the Bible says we are one flesh. All right, husband and wife become one. Yet, we are still two people. Rich Roberts, Cynthia Roberts. And our unity hasn't always been there. I mean, just like every married couple, we've had our spats, we've had our differences, we've had our arguments. Uh, and I'm sure that you can say the same thing if you're married listening to this. You, you know, you've, you've had your problems. Even though the Bible says you're one, Sometimes, you know, that's her side of the house and this is mine. Sometimes you have to get away a little bit because uh, the one isn't working very well right at that moment because, you know, you have one on one side, one on the other. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to imagine a situation of complete, perfect unity. A unity that doesn't have that type of argument. A unity that is a divine unity. Ladies and gentlemen, God is one. But you still have Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, such unity exists between Father, Son, and Spirit. They are unified as one God. But three persons, just like my wife and I are unified in marriage, but still two persons. God's unity is not like mine and my wife's because ours is a 
It is a unity that is corrupt. It is a unity that, uh, that has trouble, has problems. God's unity is not corrupted. It's not, it's, it is not problem-based. They are incomplete. And notice I purposely use the pronoun they, Father, Son, Spirit, are in such complete unity you have one God. One God existing in three persons. Now you have to understand each person of the Trinity is distinct. Jesus Christ is not the Father. Jesus Christ is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father, is not the Son. But working together, they are God. One God in three persons. The Bible says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. It says the Word was with God. The Word, this is Logos, Christ. It is another name for Jesus. Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. You see how that works? Now, Jesus is God. If you deny Jesus is God, that's heresy. Jesus is God. But what does it mean he was with God? Well, it means, you know, in this verse, he's, he, is, he is referring to the Father he, as well as the Spirit. He, you know, in the beginning, Father, Son, Spirit were all together. One God. Uh, John 16, 7. Jesus says that he would send the Holy Spirit to us. He said, I will send him to you. And the Spirit of God is not the Father. Jesus said, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. That's John 14, 26. So, notice, notice that verse. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, will be sent by the Father, separate person, and will be sent in Jesus' name, third person, who will teach us all things. Yet each person is God, one God. All right. Three distinct people, one God. Perfect unity. We can see this by looking at 1 Kings 18.60. The Bible says, All the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is none other. But if you look at this, okay, we have the Lord God is, you know, the God of the earth. Philippians 2.11 says that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now wait a minute, is the Father Lord or is Jesus Christ Lord? In 2 Corinthians 3.7, the Bible says the Lord is the Spirit. So the title Lord can be applied to the Father, to the Son, and to the Spirit. Uh, and why, why, why are you able to, to, to apply the word Lord to all three? Because all three are God. One God, three persons. Titus 2.13 says, of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't say just Savior. Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus is given the title God. Alright, so Jesus is God. The Father is God. The Spirit is God. So, go back to Genesis 1.1. It says, God created the heavens and the earth. Some people want to say, well, we're talking about just the Father. The Father is acting there. That's not true. In fact, that's, uh, that is unscriptural. Elohim, Father, Son, and Spirit created the heavens and the earth. And that's proven in Colossians 1.16. The Bible says... For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Him in this case is a reference to Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus, it says, for all things were created that are in heaven and earth. By whom? In this verse, Jesus. You then go to Job 26, 13. It says, by his spirit he adorned the heavens. 
So, so, so creation is accredited to the Spirit. We even have in Genesis where the Spirit of God brooded upon the waters, hovered on, hovered on the waters. So we have Father, Father involved in creation, Son involved in creation, Spirit involved in creation, it, it, all of this being one God in three persons. Now, if, if you're sitting at home going, I don't get it, join the club. Uh, join the club. I mean, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation uh, has, has taught us the concept of a trinity, has taught us we have three distinct persons. The Father is not the Son, is not the Spirit. But yet, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, not three gods. If you can get that, you're a better person than I am. I'm not telling you I get it. I'm telling you I accept it by faith. My little mind doesn't grasp how that all works. I can show you in the Bible the concept of Trinity over and over and over. I can show you the concept of one God over and over. But I'm not telling you Rich Roberts has it. Uh, I don't know how that works. Uh, I, I'm just trying to be a good husband to my wife. I haven't figured out marriage either. You know, the Bible says that we are one, you know, we are one flesh. Well, congratulations, but uh, I don't know about you. I have to work on my marriage every day. I haven't figured that out. You know, I've, I've been married many years now. I haven't, I haven't figured that out either. So I surely haven't figured out the concept of Trinity. Yet this receiving of the Trinity is essential to our salvation. If you don't, uh, if you don't accept by faith the concept of a Trinity, your very salvation is at stake. Uh, just, a, just a cursory glance of Ephesians chapter 1 tells that to us. When we look at Ephesians chapter 1, looking first of all at verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with, heaven, with, with, every spirit, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So notice that, that verse tells us the work of God the Father. God and Father of our Jesus Christ has blessed us. So God the Father is involved in that saving process. But then you get down to verse number 7. The Bible says, in Him, Him being Christ. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So when you get down to verse number 7, we now have the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, involved in our salvation. But then you skip down to verse number 13, and then it switches again. Uh, the Spirit wrought our salvation in these verses, because the Bible says, In Him you also trusted, after you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Do you get that? So we are, God the Father sends Jesus. That's his part of salvation. Jesus dies on the cross and through his blood, atonement for sins is given. But then the Bible says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is our saving grace throughout all of eternity. So all three persons of the Godhead, all three members of the Trinity are involved in salvation. Jesus made it plain in John chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. You must be born of the spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, if the Holy Spirit is not involved in that process, you're not saved. It doesn't work. 1 Peter 1, 2 tells us basically the same thing. God selects the sinner. We are, according to 1 Peter 1, 2, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So we are chosen by God to be saved. Jesus saves the sinner. Because that verse goes on to say, for obedience and sprinkling of blood in Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit sanctifies the sinner in sanctification of the Spirit, the verse says. 
So that verse clearly breaks down the work of all three. Foreknowledge of God the Father, the blood of Jesus Christ, and the sanctification of the Spirit is involved in saving grace. Now what does all of this have to do with me? I'm not asking you today to unravel all of the mystery of the Trinity. And I'm not telling you I've unraveled it. I have studied this concept for many years. And as I'm ending this lesson, I, I will go ahead and confess I have as many questions as I have answers. Uh, in fact, I probably have more questions than I have answers. Because every time I think I figured something out, God shows me something else and I go, nope, don't get it. Every time I think I understand it, someone shows me something and it takes my whole idea and throws it into a world. It just, it just doesn't go. And you know, then I'll go back to my car, whatever. I got it. I understand it. No, I don't. But I do know this. What does all this have to do with me? I have to accept this concept by faith. You see, my goal, my eternal goal, is one day to see the Lord face to face. And when I say see the Lord, I understand I'm going to be seeing three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. But I want to see the Lord face to face. I want to enter the throne room of God and see Him. Now, if my goal is to see God, God the Father even, face to face, the Bible makes it very clear, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's Jesus' role. You want to see the Father, you have to come through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So Jesus makes it very clear, you're not going to get to the Father except by Him. But, ladies and gentlemen, you don't, you don't even get to get to Jesus without the action of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that has to draw you. The Spirit of God that has to convict you. The Spirit of God that has to be manifest in you. John 16, 13 says, For only when the Spirit of truth has come, He, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of God, will guide you into all truth. You want, Jesus said, I am the truth. If you want to know the truth, you have to be led by the Spirit to get to that truth. Or you don't get to the truth. In other words, it is the acceptance of the Trinity. What does that mean to us? It means we have to try to grasp this concept. And even though we may have a limited understanding, we accept the concept by faith. There is one God, only one. But this God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who have such a unity among them that they are co-equal in power, co-equal in glory, co-equal in existence, co-equal in eternity, that there is such a relationship with these three that the three are one. One God, three persons. I don't always get it, but I have to accept the doctrine by faith. Can I have a word of prayer with you? Lord, this is, this is, this is a mystery. Uh, and uh, we like to try to solve mysteries, and this is one that we're probably not going to solve till we see you face to face. We accept by faith the doctrine of a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. We understand that the relationship of three in one, that that relationship has to work in and through us in order to know you and know you more. But yet, Lord, we don't comprehend it all. Our finite minds just don't get it. But Lord, we say now in our, in our hearts and souls that we accept you by faith. 
We accept the reality of who you are by faith. Even though at times we wrestle with concepts, we know that you never let us down. We know that you're always with us and we know that you lead us into all truth. I pray now, Lord, for a divine blessing upon all those who are watching this lesson. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless them, that you'll bless their families. Lord God, that you will protect and keep them in a realm of safety. And Lord, as, as we're finishing this lesson, I pray, Lord, that you will just inspire us to get to know you more and more. I pray all these things through the agency power and name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Amen. And God bless you. We hope you enjoyed, were enriched, educated, and edified by this lesson from our adult Sunday school class. Each week, these Sunday school lessons are made available in video and audio formats. If you want to watch our weekly sermon and Sunday school videos, you can find them on our YouTube channel. Just subscribe to the channel and be sure to hit the notification bell so that you're notified when a new video is posted. For audio, you can subscribe to our podcast on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and others. You can also find these audio recordings on our website free to download. Just visit www.portlandgbc.org. That's www.portlandgbc.org. Until next time, stay safe and may God bless you.